Welcome to Academy Outcasts, a cinematic education from one friend to another. And if you haven't noticed, we are not Morgan and Thomas. You may not have noticed, but we are, in fact, different people. Yes. I mean, I don't know that either of us sound that much like Morgan or Thomas, so. <laughs> but you could have some kind of face blindness for voices. I mean, wouldn't that be voice blindness? <laughs> Yes. I just don't know if that's a syndrome. Uh, we are taking over Morgan and Thomas's airwaves. We have them tied up in a closet right now. <laughs> they're fine. I promise they're fine. <laughs> we are Lindsay and Whitney Nelson. We are the sisters of historical hotties, where we traditionally talk about the hottest people in history and uh, debate back and forth the merits and who deserves to be crowned the hottest, you know, in a specific category. So that's that's our usual gig. But today, with Morgan and Thomas tied up in the closet, uh, we are talking to you about movies. Yep. And... Whitney is going to be the one educating me today, and appropriate to Morgan and Thomas being tied up in the closet. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to talk about horror today, right, Whitney? We are going to talk about horror. So Lindsay and I have a long-running theory about horror movies or horror stories throughout history and how they reflect the current zeitgeist and what people are afraid of in society. Yeah. That they're manifestations of, like, societal fears. That whole big vampire theory that we might not even want to touch because it would be such a long, such a long conversation. No, I think we can, I think we can briefly summarize. So, like, for example, Frankenstein was people afraid of the Industrial Revolution and science and technology and what that was going to do to the world. Um, vampires, for example, just to touch a little bit into it, um, vampires during the bubonic plague that is when vampires got the ability to, like, pass through keyholes and turn into smoke. Turn into mist. And, and the long, like, three-day bites where you wasted away. And part of my whole thing about vampires is a lot of monsters are the expressions of, like, one particular societal fear. Like, werewolves are the fear of our animal sides taking over our civilized sides. And wendigos are our fear of, like, not only being eaten by other people, but also of, like, that we would resort to cannibalism in desperate situations. Vampires, more than anything else, I think reflect what our society is currently afraid of. So they've evolved and changed more as our society has like been afraid of different things about ourselves because they are ourselves transformed. So yeah, so you know, like there's specific periods in time where you start to see things emerge and it's not just vampires. And we have seen it in our lifetimes happen much more noticeably in movies because you know you can see trends come and go in movies a lot yeah and so like one thing that Lindsay and I were talking about when we were looking at categories as stuff to do and this whole theory that we had and what we wanted to focus on was this whole I mean Lindsay you describe it better so maybe you should talk about it but this whole thing about horror movies involving cars and automobiles right this Big trend, especially in, like, the 90s and stuff, and even a lot of, like, scary urban legends for teenagers involve cars, like the hook hand man is always out in a car and everything, and that's sort of, like, sociologists have theorized an expression of the fact that, like, the number one thing most likely to kill teens is cars. Like, car accidents, being hit by a car is one of the number one causes of death for teenagers. And so there's this, like, unconscious fear or association with cars being scary. And there was this whole thing in the late 90s, early 2000s of, like, scary car movies of, like, serial killers chasing people down in, like, big trucks that you couldn't see into or people getting stranded on roads. And, you know, it's this whole outlet. You know, horror is such an outlet for whatever we're sort of 
feeling and scared about societally. And I think that's why zombie movies got so big recently because of a fear of conformity and losing identity and being like a mass consumer product and everything is like what a zombie is right it's the- do you think that's do you think that's why zombies sort of took over more than vampires because like for so long vampires were like the number one horror movie supernatural bad guy for literally like centuries yeah from like Mesopotamia to the 90s, (laughs) vampires were the bad guys. And in the last 10 to 20 years... No, that's my whole horror theory of vampires more than any other monster currently reflecting what we're afraid of about ourselves. You know, like you were saying with the plague, people were scared of the plague. And so vampires became disease pathogens. Like, and I think a really interesting thing was, you know, they started getting magic powers with the whole witchcraft scare in the... Late 15, early 1600s. They weren't ever sexy until the Victorian era. Yes, that's one of my favorites. <laughs> it wasn't until the Victorian yeah. era we got really repressed about sex. They were always, they were always disgusting, horrible monsters. Yep. Yeah. And uh, right up until the Victorian era. Like we think now, when we think of vampires, all we think is sexy because of Anne Rice and Buffy and Twilight. Well, but and like, like really for- like Dracula. You know, Dracula yeah. is where they, Dracula and Camilla and a bunch of Victorian stuff is where they started being sensual because we were afraid of our sensual side as humans. And so that became a thing to them. I think it was really interesting in the 80s, disease came in again because all of the vampire origin stuff was like, it was a bloodborne disease you could really see like aids and stuff and then even some genetic mutation cancer stuff with underworld and everything it being a bloodborne disease and- well and also blade reflected on some of that stuff like you saw a whole sort of underground drug rave scene kind of come into vampires when yeah. when aids and party drugs and everything were what people were scared of. And then in more recent years, when you have had vampires, when it hasn't been zombies, it's been the terror of interpersonal relationships. Because like we're talking about in this one, (laughs) with us now being so much more comfortable having relationships like through our phones and stuff, all of the recent like True Blood, totally about the terror of interpersonal relationships. Even something like Twilight is about how scary emotions are. (laughs) Like, But I do think, I do think zombies kind of took over because of this fear of like a losing individuality and like a mass consumerism, unstoppable force kind of thing. I do think that's why they've kind of had it over vampires for a little while. (laughs) I just think horror movies are such an interesting cultural outlet for what we're totally what we're afraid of. And, And that's why you can really see the evolution now that, I mean, if you're a millennial or younger, so much of your life happens through the internet and social media. Exactly. And, uh, even like I'm considered a total technophobe Luddite and I'm still on Instagram and Twitter and stuff like that. Have you heard the studies that we get depressed and anxious after spending time on social media? Uh, kind of, yeah. It doesn't surprise me. I've, I've read a lot about Facebook and Instagram and the, the, like, mental impact of Facebook and Instagram. Yeah, because, you know, obviously we're curating our lives for social media. Nobody shows themselves doing laundry or <laughs> stuck in traffic for the most part. It's all of the, like, 
fabulous, fun things we're doing. And so even if part of our conscious brain knows that, it still makes us feel like our lives aren't living up to other people's lives when we only see the like good parts of it. So so what we want to talk about today, the category that I picked for Lindsay to choose from is what I'm calling, there's not really a name for it, but what I'm calling new horror, which is horror movies and thrillers that talk about the our understanding of the internet or lack thereof and how social media and internet culture can be twisted to dark ends, essentially. So um, I'm going to talk about some movies that fit into that category. We have a couple honorable mentions that I did not want to watch because they were either bad or documentaries. <laughs> um, but Friend Request is one of them. The Catfish, which was build like all of the it, it makes me so mad still and this was so many years ago um but it like it makes me so mad i can't even i get flustered when i talk about it but catfish was billed as like a blair witch style thriller horror movie and it was in fact a documentary that was very benign but there was also the slender man documentary about the the girls who you know stabbed somebody or whatever the slender man documentary but I'm going to list the movies for Lindsay to pick from, and then we are going to watch one of those movies. So, uh, Lindsay, what do you know about the movie Smiley? Have you seen it? I haven't seen it. I remember the trailers, because uh, it's got, like, a guy's face who's sewn up, like, a smiley face emoji. Um, and it, it, so, that's... I haven't seen it. I saw the trailers. That's about it. Yes, yeah, so it's <laughs> like a, of... a Bloody Mary-esque, but for the internet era. Like Bloody um, Mary spooky pasta? Ye- exactly, Creepypasta. yes. <laughs> Creepypasta, that's what it is. <laughs> Creepypasta. Um, so yeah, basically it's a, a Bloody Mary for, for the social media generation. And then there is Unfriended. Uh, what do you know about that one? I did. I did see Unfriended. I saw okay. it because I was so interested in the fact that like they actually recorded it on Skype and they did it in real time. They rehearsed it all in like real time and they did it like a play where they, you know, went from start to finish in one take. And so I was very interested yeah. uh, to see that. But, you know, that's also like haunted Skype. So who does it? <laughs> Um, and I think a lot of podcasters really relate to a horror movie about Skype because most of us use Skype for our long distance calls and it is kind of a horror show in real life on a day to day basis. So, um, what should you be bad mouthing Skype while we're on Skype? Isn't that tempting fate a little bit? Um, and I will say that it's very interesting when I was doing a little bit of research to offer Lindsay these movies, um, on Rotten Tomatoes, Unfriended has like a 67% on Rotten Tomatoes from critics but like a 40 something percent from from the audience and i thought that was really interesting because clearly unfriended like did a bold move for a movie in like filming everybody over skype and having it done live like a play and they tried some interesting stuff but it clearly resonated with people who critique movies more than it did with people who watch movies (laughs) i just thought that was interesting yeah yeah, i think probably like you said because of the interesting like that they were trying things out and I think exactly. a lot of people would respect that. So, Lindsay, so. what do you know about the movie Hard Candy? Okay, I've seen Hard Candy, and it's great. <laughs> it's creepy. Yeah, I feel like Hard Candy is kind of one of the progenitors of this sort of category. It's, yeah. it's very early days. It's, it's like a forerunner of this genre. Six or seven. I remember it. It's five, I yeah, think. Yeah, I remember it being out when I was in film school. So, like, 2005, 2006, somewhere in there. Um... 
But it's, you know, one of the first stories about like the dangers of the internet and you don't know who you're meeting. And even if you are not a great person, there might be someone worse out there. Yeah. (laughs) So, I mean, you've seen it, so we won't watch that one today, but that's definitely, I think, feels, falls squarely into this category um, and is actually a really good example of it. Yeah, it fits into that feeling of that the internet is this thing that we think we control, but the fear is that it's really controlling running us. us it's this yeah. like much more powerful force that we've messed with and now we are at its mercy so i think it it definitely reflects the feel of the theme we're going for today totally so Lindsay, what do you know about the movie tragedy girls um haven't seen it i didn't even really see the preview i just kind of heard about it you know like when it was out and it's about girls who have um they have like a true crime blog or a something like that and they start yeah committing murders to have something to write about to keep their hits up yeah so um yeah basically that's exactly it it's their their (laughs) blog starts to kind of go viral and they start to get some fame out of it and they don't want to lose that so they start um helping things along uh (laughs) for for content for their blog yeah um but you have not seen that i haven't seen that one okay uh, and then the last one that I have on the list goes to Ingrid Goes West. What do you know about oh, that one? I I have not seen this one, but I really wanted to when it was in theaters. Oh, okay. Well, that might be a good candidate then. <laughs> yeah. It, it looked really interesting, and I really like Aubrey Plaza. I think she's not only, like, a really great actress, but I think she makes really interesting choices. So I kind of like to see almost anything she's in, just because I feel like it'll be it'll be something interesting, even if it's not, you know. <laughs> but I, yeah, so that is, um, from what I got from trailers and stuff, was that it's a about a woman who basically gets obsessed and stalks people, uh, tries to insinuate her way into their lives from, like, Instagram and social media and stuff. She gets obsessed with influencer. <laughs> All right. Well, there, that's, there's that then. Is, that's the one you'd like to watch? Yeah, because I really wanted to try and see that one when it was in theaters and I didn't get a chance, so. All right. Well, you, you pretty much hit the nail on the head, but let's go watch it and see how close you got. Let's go. I'll get the popcorn. The couple that yogas together stays together. Prayer hands emoji. A perfect day for a perfect wedding. Hashtag perfect. Happy to be sharing this day with all my favorite humans. Hashtag blessed. Is this real? Hashtag no filter. A perfect day for a perfect wedding. Yep, that's how we roll. Ingrid. Congratulations. Are you insane? Anything else I need to know about Ingrid? Oh, sorry, this is Ingrid. Ingrid, Ingrid, this is my brother Nikki. (laughs) How long are you here for? All right, hang on, Whitney. Hang on, Lindsay. 
It's us. All right. You're not going to have this episode all to yourself. Okay. We need yeah, to jump in. This that's is, right. This is Morgan. I mean, Thomas. I'm Tom. I mean, I'm Morgan. No, yeah. We got our names right. I don't even know who I am anymore with this crazy switcheroo week. Well, you're not Lindsay and I'm not Whitney. No, definitely not. So we're, we're, we're coming in and we're saying a little something something. <laughs> all right. So I have a hot, fresh, tasty message for you. We have been brought to you this week in part by Blue Apron. Ooh, Blue Apron. Blue Apron. So in case you're not familiar, Blue Apron is a meal kit delivery service where you sign up, you can choose from a variety of chef-designed step-by-step recipes every single week. They take those ingredients, they pre-package them, they deliver straight to your door. You get those fresh seasonal ingredients. Mm. Um, you can follow the instructions to create delicious, unforgettable meals cooked by you from scratch in your own home. Nom nom. Nom nom indeed. For six weeks, Blue Apron is teaming up with Airbnb to bring you the best home cooking from around the world. Each week, our menu will feature a recipe developed with a local chef who hosts an Airbnb experience, like a pasta-making class in Tuscany or a market tour in Tokyo. So go to bit.ly backslash snapron to get $60 off your first six weeks for this special team-up event. That's a heck of a deal. Heck that of a deal, is folks. a heck of a deal. You can get things like Florentine roast pork with salsa verde and roasted vegetables, Ooh. or Parisian steak frites with roasted broccoli and lemon aioli. Ooh. That sounds freaking delicious. You're getting like three things here. Not only are you getting the tasty food that Blue Apron is providing, but you're getting that experience from Airbnb. And that third thing is, of course, the pleasure of hearing our voices on our mini shows with our many talented hosts on the scavengers network that's right listen to scavengers network shows while you cook or hey invite someone over do a dinner and a movie that's what we would do here on academy outcast and just impress the heck out of them with your delicious home-cooked meal so indeed once again that link for you scavengers network fans academy outcast fans is bit.ly forward slash snapron s-n-a-p-r-o-n and uh yeah go there to get uh sixty dollars off your first six weeks it's a blue apron a better way to cook boom all right whitney Lindsay, it's back to you Okay, so we are back. We watched it. Lindsay, what did you think? I really liked it. I I thought mm-hmm. it was... I mean, I think both uh, Elizabeth Olsen... It's not Elizabeth Olsen. What's her name? Uh, I think it is. No? Is yeah, it Elizabeth, Elizabeth Olsen? Olsen. Oh, for some reason I just had a, like... Wait, that's not... Yeah, okay. So, <laughs> um, I think Elizabeth Olsen and Aubrey Plaza both did a really great job. I think the person that did the best job, though, was O'Shea Jackson Jr., who is the landlord, the Batman-obsessed yes. yeah. guy who plays her. She convinces him to pretend to be jumping ahead. Yeah. Sorry. No, no, we should we should give a, a summary of the plot now that we've watched it for, we for should. everybody. But I just think he almost stole the movie. When you're talking about incredible performances, I actually think he should be top of the uh, list. He did do an incredible job. For a character that did not have that much screen time, screen time I feel like I know yeah. him almost better than anybody yeah, else. Totally. So let's, let's give definitely a little bit a scene of a summary. Um, so Ingrid Goes West is about... Aubrey Plaza, who plays Ingrid, um, who is an obsessive personality, and in her that manifests via 
uh, addiction to apps and falling in love, not necessarily like romantic love, but like platonic, obsessive love with people that she sees online who she thinks feels are living that perfect life, who are only seeing the things that are, you know, for public consumption and taking any little tiny seed of like a like back on her stuff or a reply to her comment as an invitation to be in their lives. And then when she is clearly not in their lives, it all sort of crashes down around her. And that's kind of where we start out. Yeah, the movie starts with her uh, in a car, like watching a friend's wedding be posted on Instagram or somebody who she thinks of as a friend be posted on Instagram and getting madder and madder about all of these posts that she's not there. And she storms into the wedding and like maces the bride um, because she's mad at not being invited. And she gets put into a mental institution and she's writing letters to the woman she thought she had a relationship with, the bride who she maced while she's in the mental institution. Um, and then when she gets out and she goes home and you see that, you know, her mother just recently died and that she's in the house all by herself and there's still like all of the medical equipment from what looks like her mother having an illness and she's lost and doesn't know what to do. And in this town, like she's at the grocery store and people are talking about her and it's all, <laughs> she wants to start over and she finds a, social media influencer on Instagram who lives in California and is like a new it girl of social media and is like in Venice and has this very like California-y perfect looking Instagram life. And so she leaves a comment on one of her posts. And when she responds to Ingrid, Ingrid decides to uproot her whole life and go west and go to Venice. <laughs> because again, any any little social interaction that indicates there might be a friendship there says so much more to Ingrid than it would to anybody else. And so she decides this is it. That was her in. She's going to take the money that she got from her mother dying and uproot her whole life to go to Venice. So she puts, like, literally a backpack full of $60,000. She just puts it all in a backpack. And she goes to Venice, and she finds an apartment, and then she immediately starts going to places in... Taylor is the name of the Instagram influencer she has a, a obsession with. And she goes to starts going to places in her Instagram posts, trying to run into her and figure out a way to integrate into her life. And she starts following her around, and she ends up stealing her dog so that then when they put up wanted posters she can respond and be a hero and rescue the dog, give the dog yeah. back and everything and <laughs> and so she just starts trying to integrate herself into their life and she's spending all this money to try and keep up with their lifestyle and uh it's getting more and more intense and she thinks that they're having this great bonding friendship and she's really excited about it and she feels like Taylor seems to be like opening up to her as uh, and like sharing secrets with her. And then Taylor's brother comes into town and he's this whole whirlwind of, uh, annoying entitled. He's like every <laughs> negative stereotype about millennials. Yes. All wrapped up into one package. Like the whole movie is obviously sort of an indictment of millennials in a way that I hate, but all of the negative stereotypes about millennials are him. This like, he has money, but no one really knows where it comes from. And like, he doesn't and he's do not anything responsible with, his life, with it. And so he also keeps taking money from other people. And, and, and he's kind of yeah. miserable, but also lives a, a, an ostensibly perfect lifestyle. Where he's like 
globe trotting and having shallow relationships with supermodels and and via the brother uh, a more famous he's the worst. He's the worst. <laughs> Uh, via the brother, a more famous person sort of comes into Taylor's life, which Taylor can use for more online clout. And Ingrid sort of gets pushed aside a little bit as no one but no one is surprised but Ingrid in this because that's what Taylor does is she's an influencer. Yeah, you've been able to see how shallow and superficial and artificial Taylor is this whole time that she is a constructed idea more than a person for the sake of making money off of Instagram. And yeah. Ingrid is the only one surprised when her brother brings this higher follower, more powerful influencer, fashion person into her life. And all of a sudden she's kind of doing what Ingrid was doing to like a less extreme level, but like trying to ingratiate herself with this person to boost her social standing. And Ingrid starts to freak out a little bit. Uh, she starts to, honestly, she starts to Mr. Ripley. Yes, yes, that's exactly Taylor. what she does. If, you, if you've seen The Incredible Mr. Ripley, that's what yeah. it's called, right? Talented oh, yes, Mr. The Ripley? Talented Mr. Ripley. It's The Incredible Mr. Yeah. Limpet and The Talented Mr. Ripley pushed together. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it's very much like that where it's not quite single white femaleing her. That kind of was earlier in the movie. This is more the talented Mr. Ripley thriller part of the movie where she goes to more extreme efforts to sort of get into Taylor's life as Taylor kind of gets more and more closed off. Is icing her out. Yeah. 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 And so her brother, who is never really taken to Ingrid very much... Um, who's like instantly could kind of tell, instantly picked up a vibe from her that she wasn't really like one of them, um, and has been harassing her and sort of mm-hmm. teasing her. She has been saying that she has a boyfriend this whole time. We didn't even talk about your favorite character, which is the landlord. No, I was just <laughs> thinking about that. I was like, we've skipped the whole part that has him in it. So O'Shea Jackson Jr. plays her landlord. He is a low key drug dealer. Like it doesn't seem to be a hundred percent all he does but it's kind of what he does on the side of being a screenplay writer but he is uh, obsessed with batman and so really all he's focused on is like batman and writing movies, a batman sequel and writing a new <laughs> batman movie and yeah and he is hilarious and he is exactly what ingrid needs but also doesn't deserve and also doesn't and want and also doesn't want because he's he goofy is and a he's super not nice guy and he's and, a goofy guy yeah. and he yeah he's not polished he also does not care what other people think of him which is obviously Ingrid's whole thing is you have to care what other people think about you because otherwise you can't get the likes and you can't know these people but he has a thing for her and he is just so charming he is funny he is charming, he's endearing, and you definitely, like Lindsay said, you really walk away from the movie feeling like you know that character as a person in real life, not as a character. He's so, like, fully fleshed out. And it's interesting to have that sort of juxtaposition, and I think this is why they did it. He feels so real, and everybody else in the movie is just trying to be something. They're all fake. They're all trying to be this image of a yeah. person and not a real person. They're like a collection of, you know, characteristics. That, and- that he really does stand out as a genuine person, because everyone else in the movie is not a genuine person. They're all trying to be something else. I mean, they're all trying to go to what is the cool restaurant or the cool party or being seen with the right, like, accessory. And when he finally gets to take Ingrid out on a date, 
He takes her to... It's all about hashtag blessed. (laughs) He takes her to this kitschy Hawaiian tiki place that he clearly just loves. You know, he just clearly likes Mm -hmm. it. He doesn't care if it's cool or not. He's not trying to make it retro chic. He just likes it. And he goes there all the time so that the staff even knows who he is. And their whole date that they have, I think, is so good. And like what he was saying, his performance is just really amazing because he's trying to have real moments with her. And he they get real about like their lives and their families and their pain and she starts getting choked up talking about her mom and she starts to apologize for it and he's like no like you don't have to apologize for like being a person with feelings but you know ingrid aspiring to this world that is all about the superficial you know she feels like doesn't know how to actually connect with people so anyways she has been saying that she had a boyfriend because she borrowed his truck really early on to do a favor for taylor in the process of like integrating herself into her life but since they've never seen him at anything everybody's saying like that he's an imaginary boyfriend and nikki makes her bring him to a pool party so she goes out with him finally and then is like okay now pretend you've been my boyfriend for like months she doesn't say that but she just says like you have to act like you're my boyfriend even though we've been on one date so they go to this pool party and nikki keeps hanging out with dan and ingrid doesn't want him to hang out with him and he's like what people can't like me i'm charming i'm awesome and she's like he's just trying to use you to get to me and dan is a believer but he is just trying to use him to get to Nikki. Or t- uh, Nikki is just trying to use him to get to Ingrid and ends up stealing Ingrid's phone, on which he finds all of her stalker information about his sister and how she is just this Insta fan who is trying to push her way into his sister's life. And so he blackmails her mm-hmm. uh, that if she wants him to keep the information from sister that she has to give him five thousand dollars a month and she's like i don't have that kind of money and he's like dan told me about your bag of cash but of course she spent almost all of her bag of cash at this point trying to keep up with their lifestyle lifestyle and so she talks dan she gets street like thug kids (laughs) to punch her And then goes to Dan and says that Nikki punched her and is blackmailing her, but she doesn't tell him why, just that, like, he's crazy and they have to, like, scare him out of blackmailing her. So they put on ski masks and kidnap him and take him out to the desert. Uh, And he immediately guesses who it is because he's like, uh, who would want to blackmail me or who would want to kidnap me? Uh, Maybe it's you. And so he actually gets the better of them and starts beating up Dan. And so she grabs a tire iron and knocks out Nikki. And then they run back to the hospital and just leave them there. (laughs) Then she just leaves Dan in the hospital and her whole life is collapsing right now. This whole facade that she's built up is kind of crumbling and... Nikki doesn't die in the desert, which I thought for a minute he was going to. It definitely looked like he was going to. It got real real brutal. Yeah. And then she tries to call Taylor and Taylor won't answer the phone. And she calls back and Taylor's husband answers. And he's like, uh, we know everything. We found Nikki. He told us the only reason we're not pressing charges against you is because he was trying to blackmail you. But get out of our lives. And she's like, calls it leaves a million messages on Taylor's phone. She, she panics. panics. She does the same thing that like crazy girls in movies do when they're about when they think they're losing the person that they love. And she leaves a hundred voicemails and they range from like placating and overly sweet and 
calm and normal to, to acting like, like nothing happened threatening and freaking threatening. out and like i'm gonna come over there and kill all of you to like crying and sobbing and being like i'll do anything and it's a whole scene of her like and to spiraling. like <laughs> those last 40 voicemails were totally a yeah. joke like got you <laughs> <laughs> so then she tries to stalk them out like following her instagram again to their joshua tree place because she won't they won't talk to her and she buys with the very last of her money a house that taylor wanted to buy next to their joshua tree place and is like spying on them as they're having a halloween party and uh is just like living surrounded by filth and dirty plates and is down to her last money which she spends on beer and her power is going out and she can't charge her phone and her losing her phone is like her breaking point where she storms over to the halloween party to have a confrontation with them and it kind of falls flat yeah it doesn't go well (laughs) but i mean i don't think it's even like as dramatic as part of ingrid would have wanted you know Ingrid wanted it to be a big scene. Yeah, like, she would have even felt better, I think, if it had been negative, but dramatic. Yeah. She expects it to be a huge scene, and they're both just like, leave now. And she tries to say some hurtful things to undermine Taylor about, because Taylor's accused her of everything being fake, and she's like, your whole, you're just as fake as I am. Everything about you is a lie, too. You're just better at it, or have been doing it longer. And, but they just don't really give her anything, and she walks out of the party depressed. And then she goes back to the cabin with no power and lights a bunch of candles and gets prepared to post one last video to Instagram where she stares into the phone without any artifice and says, this is the real me. The life I've been showing you for the last few months is a lie. I'm not anything I say I am. I'm just trying to be something that I'm not. And it's all crumbled around me and i'm just a loser who doesn't have friends and what's the point of living if you don't have anybody to share it with and so she's like i just wanted to show you the real me one time before i go and then she swallows a bottle of prescription medication on instagram live on instagram live (laughs) and then turns it off and she even says something do you remember what she cat like she like hashtagged it or something before she she did hashtag it i don't remember what it was though i wish i had written that down in my notes but i didn't and then she lays down surrounded by candles with an instagram picture of her and taylor that taylor put on her very own instagram of the two of them holding her phone and like prepares to you know die to die (laughs) and then she wakes up in the hospital and this nurse is and like, of course, Dan, the boyfriend that she doesn't deserve, who's in love with her there. for like no, no reason. reason. Honestly, that's my biggest problem with this whole movie. There's a couple of things that I have problem with. I feel like it's it's very on the nose mm-hmm. for a lot of it. There's not enough subtlety for it to be a true thriller for me, and there definitely are. It was very intense. Like there were there were times yeah. where like nothing was happening and I was squirming in my seat because it was so awkward and weird and tense. But like it hit it missed full thriller because everything was so overt for me. Well, and there was so much comedy in it that yeah. it kind of at certain points undercut the tension, even though I enjoyed the comedy a lot. I enjoyed the comedy a lot. But the biggest thing that was a miss for me is they never they never explained to my satisfaction why Dan, the boyfriend, uh, Batman-obsessed potential boyfriend that loves her, loves her. They never explain it. They never make a compelling argument for why he likes Ingrid. Because all she ever does is use him. Yeah. He, like, has a crush on her from the second she shows up, which I don't understand. I do, they did the one night when they do have a date and they do get together. She has sex with him as Catwoman and him being Batman. 
and she's totally willing to buy into that and play that for him. And it means a lot to him because like nobody's ever been willing to do that before. That's as close as they ever got to like giving you a reason why he would be so into her with so little reason. (laughs) But so he's there. But she wakes up in the hospital and he is there. And there's all these like balloons and flowers and stuff. And she's like, what's all this? And the nurse is like, apparently a lot of people out there care about you. And Dan's like, hi, how are you? It's good to see you. And essentially she went, she went, she went viral viral. with her suicide message. And now everybody is obsessed with her. And she's a trending hashtag. Uh, I am Ingrid is trending because everybody can relate to her because of that video and so now and that's the end of it and it's a it's an ending i totally saw coming yeah it is definitely a it is an obvious ending to this movie but in certain ways it was kind of one of the only ways the movie could end i agree i agree there's not too many ways that i felt like the movie could end and resolve that i would have appreciated Mm -hmm. i feel like if they had done too much more to like have taylor there or to have anything redeemed that would be a cop-out if they just left it with the suicide and that was it that would be okay i don't think you need to see her waking up in the hospital but also i don't think it would have it would have struck quite as true so yeah i i overall it's a very good movie there are very tense moments and i do think that i like the idea of just as much as someone being fake on the internet appeals to people someone being real on the internet appeals to people is a good message to leave it with because i think that that's true and i i think that it it also hits a lot of like i was talking about it sort of like giving millennials a hard time it really only does in the brother character i feel like it 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 hits on a lot of avocado toast millennial Instagram culture trends in the movie, but does not necessarily malign millennials for being hipsters with any of this stuff. It does not necessarily look down on millennials or hipsters or internet culture. It just, and I think that's why it works, is because it's not saying, look at how social media is ruining you. It's saying, look at the hazards of comparing yourself to other people. Yeah. And I do think, though, you were talking about it like the ending being kind of like being real on the internet can get you as many followers as being fake on the internet being a good message. But in a certain way, I think it's very sinister, too, in the fact that, like, yes. social media is its own sort of self-perpetuating thing. And, like, once it has you, it can consume you. And the fact that, like, you can turn anything into more hits and more likes. And then you start doing things just for the sake of getting those hits and likes and, you know... That she's getting sucked into the whole fake life that we can see Taylor and her husband working really hard to perpetuate while not particularly enjoying Being it. successful at yeah. it. Yeah, they don't particularly like it. Their marriage isn't particularly good. He wants to be an artist but isn't really succeeding. She wants to do all these other things that she's not really ever doing because she takes up so much of her time trying to live this idyllic life and and advertise for these brands and be the influencer that makes money off of doing it. And so they're not necessarily unhappy, but they're definitely not happy. And so like, it's not what I would say is like a successful life in that way. Right. Because it's a chase that you could never really, you know, Taylor is the it girl influencer until she runs into the person with millions of followers who then she is just like Ingrid too, you know. Yeah. 
Um, and, you know, once you commit suicide to become viral, how do you keep that going? Right. Like, where do you go from there? You start having to do crazier and crazier. I mean, this is the whole, like, Paul brothers in a nutshell of, like, at some point, you're so detached from reality that you're just pulling, like, crazier, stupid, more insensitive stuff to try and get new attention yeah. because you have to top last time. Yeah. So, overall, I definitely think I really liked the movie. I think that it could have had more nuance in parts, but I also feel like, like I said, I, for me, I'm such, I'm just on the outside of the millennial generation. I'm, I'm in that transitional period. Yeah. No man's land where they keep trying to like millennials in that period keep trying to be like, I'm not a millennial. I am, you know, Gen X, but Gen X is like, you're not one of us. <laughs> and I'm one of those people in that like two and a half year, three year period. But I think that millennials were handed a really raw deal by society and a bunch of people ruined a bunch of things and then they were like now go do it like it's been done for generations and we're all like uh we can't yeah no i get really annoyed at like family reunions and stuff like that when people in their 60s and 70s relatives come up and say things to you know people in my age group like me and my cousins like you guys need to get a real job and stuff like that and we're like a real job like you're talking about doesn't exist for us anymore. We yep. can't go get a job someplace and work there for 60 years and have a 401k and a pension. Right. A one income family can't pay the rent anymore. Yeah. And so anyway, it's, um, I, you know, obviously it's a thing that a lot of people have a lot of feelings about, but it is so easy to make fun of millennials. And that, like that piece that said, if we stopped buying avocado toast, we could afford to buy a house. And obviously that's not what the problem is. Yeah. The problem is not nine to $11 avocado toasts. It's the fact that nothing works like it's supposed to in previous generations. Um, and this does a good job of pointing out avocado toast and Instagram influencers and hashtag blessed and going to the right parties and FOMO and the whole thing. And they don't do it while looking down their nose at it. You feel empathy for the characters. Like you Nikki do. is the only one you don't, even though you don't think Taylor is like a super great person and I wouldn't personally want to hang out with her. They do show you that it's not great for her either you know that she's trying and she's gotten sucked into the whole idea of living this life that's supposedly very spiritual and deep when she really like hasn't read the book she said she's read and she hasn't she's so worried about getting the right shot to continue to sell her life that she doesn't really get to experience it and that's you know maybe a trap she got herself into but it's still a trap and the movie lets you empathize with that yeah yeah you definitely you empathize with every person in the movie even the person like obviously ingrid does at times feel sinister she does at times feel pathetic and aubrey plaza does an incredible job of that where you like alternate between really empathizing with her and really feeling for her and putting yourself in her shoes to being like oh my god this is so awkward and terrible and she's pathetic and i could not stand to be near her to being like oh my god she's really scary and so divorced from reality that she's like not okay to be around and then you're like you're back in her shoes feeling for her again and I think it takes a person like Aubrey Plaza, who has a, a real 
sense of nuance in her performance to really be able to make you feel all those different ways about a character in one movie. Yeah. There's lots of scenes in this where it's her going through Instagram and coming to decisions in her head and stuff that they don't rely on voiceovers or any windows into her head. It's all on her performance and how it's shot. And it's incredible how much information they convey. You can see her arriving at decisions and making plans without them ever having to say anything. It's a really incredible performance. And the cinema Photography and direction really plays into that, but I think you couldn't have pulled it off without somebody like Aubrey Plaza. Yeah. And as a, a Southern Californian, I really appreciated a bunch of the send-ups of California, like the parody of the uh, Gratitude Cafe, which is this they called the Grateful Kitchen, mm-hmm. <laughs> where they have like a, a deep emotional question for the day and they ask like, how could I nourish you? And all of the cultivated LA desert chic and chic spirituality and everything i definitely Mm -hmm. uh yeah i heard that like (laughs) Mm -hmm. uh okay so we should we should rate this movie um what are we gonna use i i was gonna say i think our pretty clear scale here is a scale of one to five instagram likes i think that has to be it we gotta double tap Yeah. So even though, uh, like Whitney, I think that there are some, you know, like flaws and shortcomings in this movie. There's some stuff like the ending you see coming a mile away, but it still works when you get there. And the performances are so good uh, that I think I'm going to give this a four out of five Instagram likes. Same. Same. I'm going to give it a four as well. I think that it is not a perfect movie. I always, in anything that presents itself as sort of a thriller, I want to really be on the edge of my seat yeah. more than I was in Ingrid Goes West. And I do think that that was sort of a, a lack of subtlety. I think everything was very on the nose. And I think that that really worked at some parts, but I think that it undermined itself in what it was trying to, mm-hmm. like what kind of movie it was selling itself as. So I don't think it's a perfect movie by any means, but I do think it was far better than average. Yeah. So I think I think a four is a really good score. All right. Well, there you have it. That was fun. <laughs> yeah. So thank you to Morgan and Thomas for letting us tie you up in the closet and take over your show. Um, You can find us. We are Historical Hotties on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. And again, we debate different categories like glam rock or we just did pop divas we do horror writers different categories of historical figure and then we try and uh, debate which one is the hottest of those historical figures we are historically hot on instagram twitter our website is historicallyhot.com so come find us and if you are at academy outcasts because you followed us here from historically hot definitely subscribe to morgan and thomas and hear them educate one another on movies Thank you for coming along with us on the Scavenger Network episode swap. And we will turn the raids back over to Morgan and Thomas, and they will be back with you next episode. Adios. Stay hot, everybody. Bye.